I'm going to ask all of you to stand back up. I, just as you're getting comfortable, you notice that we're in a circle. That was a surprise to me, so I thought it'd just be a good opportunity to do a few laps. We're going to run a few laps. Um, no, actually, uh, I think it's really cool when we come in and uh, we expose our lives and we open up our hearts to God. But uh, it's another thing to recognize that you're actually standing next to people that God made and uh, other human beings. So I think it'd be good if you find somebody that you don't know. I know this is, uh, this is always very popular. But uh, break through that barrier. I, we won't run laps, but uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to somebody right now. Hi, how are you? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm still on. All right, let's, uh, let's do a couple laps. You guys, let's stretch before we do these laps. You want to find your seats? I feel very threatening when I... Oh, some of these people want to do laps. I feel like a PE coach. All right. Will you uh, put your attention up to the slide up here? Red Sea Next is uh, how we're trying to simply um, talk about the next season that we're in and the season that we're in right now and going through and that we have goals set for. We've talked a lot about where we're going and we've been a little bit nervous at times, anxiety. We've even been angry or in denial or sad about uh, what we feel actually God is bringing us into. And we've watched people uh, actually begin to rally around what God is doing. And, um, but we really want to just stay in the mix, keep praying about the things that are going on. So you'll see it's a whole bunch of peas. We didn't do that on purpose. That just looks terrible. Um, we have a property purchase. Uh, that's a big deal. We're talking about partnerships and the way that we partner with each other, the way that we're partnering with, it, um, with our friends with uh, some really good training tools up in uh, Tacoma. Their names are SOMA, but I would emphasize our partnership here on the ground here in Portland and, and who we are. Uh, we're going to pray in a second. The pastoral hire, obviously, we're looking and, um, and praying a lot about who will join our team of leaders we're not looking for a big lead hotshot guy. We're looking for somebody who's, who's really going to be team and strength and understands where we're going in our partnerships. And then, of course, uh, we're going to be sending a team down uh, to Ventura, California to plant uh, a church and do what we did here when we started this eight years ago. So 
the property purchase I'd like to talk a little bit about. There should be a next slide. The property purchase is all primed and ready to go. We're uh, just giving you an update here in that we are, uh, there should be a next slide. I like to say that. Bueller, Bueller, no. Um, the next slide shows that uh, your, your Sunday uh, brochure says that we need to raise about 4700 That was the originally thought out number. Uh, title and escrow for us to go ahead and purchase this property that you're sitting in and the property across the street, an empty lot behind us, uh, the empty uh, space behind what we call the hub, our little community center, which we do all kinds of stuff in, and then you know the community garden. Uh, all of that we're purchasing uh, for about one-third of the cost, and to complete that transaction, we need to come up with about $3,500 beyond our budget. And so uh, we're going to be talking a lot about where we're at with gospel finance, giving, stewardship. What does God entrust with us? This is, if you've purchased anything, you'll, you know that this is like ridiculously low. It's kind of a no-brainer that we get to have this as our asset and that God's brought us to this building. But nonetheless, for a small community of people in uh, the context that we're in, it, um, it can look like a lot of money. So we need to go beyond our budget. So it's not, hey, uh, I'm going to put my 200 bucks, uh, my monthly tithe or whatever, towards the building. It's we need to go above and beyond. And so this is us coming together. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this through the month of March. And we're also going to get really practical about this. So you'll see in March that on Wednesdays, our missional communities and those leaders and those communities are going to be meeting here on Wednesday nights at six, from 6 to 8 to do some very practical finance, budget. It's something that we've wanted to do long overdue, and we just thought that itty-bitty $3,500 would be a really good uh, opportunity to show that and uh, for us to talk through that. What is God looking for when we're holistically giving and holistically investing? So uh, those Wednesday nights are going to be led by Joel Robnett. He's going to raise his hand, right? Uh, Not this Wednesday, but those start the Wednesday after next. So we'll be coming here. If you're in a missional community, your leader's already going to lead you here. Um, If you're not in a missional community yet, that's great. Come on out and and hang out. So uh, let's go back to the other slide, and uh, let me just lead us in a prayer over a little bit of the family business we talked about today. Lord, uh, we love you so much, and we thank you for the way that you provide for us. We thank you that you lead us into places that are challenging. We thank you that you've asked us to follow you, and you've asked us to follow you a long time into this property deal. And God, uh, now is that time that you've placed that before us. On top of that, you've placed the opportunity unequivocally and uh, without doubt for us to plant a church a thousand miles away. And Lord, that just seems odd that you would do that. And then on top of that, we see that we need uh, other leaders uh, to be raised up and uh, for it to be secured here as a team, Lord. And so you've really brought forth what does it mean for us to partner in the gospel? What does it mean for us to partner in the things that, that you're all about? And so, God, it's an exciting time, Lord, where we get to rely on you. We look at ourselves and we go, well, we have nothing to give. And, God, we just see the story is filled with people who, who have nothing and realize they have nothing. But that, that's why you're God, is you ask us to do things not that we can do on our own, but things that only you, could, you can do. And so, Lord, um, forgive us of our lack of faith. We want to repent, Lord, where we don't believe. And so, Lord, um, it's also really harnessed leadership and partnership and the, the people that we're trying to lead. Lord, it's, it's, um, there's been some turbulence in the way that uh, we're communicating. And so, God, let us do a good job at not frustrating each other. Let us do a good job at walking in peace and uh, not forgetting love at all. 
And Lord, I know that you're placing that on our hearts. I've seen many signs of that, and it's been awesome. And Lord, I thank you for where you are showing up in our lives. We just thank you so much, God, that, that you have a plan for us to be here a long time. That you have a plan for us to expand and be a part of what you're all about. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would continue to move us and shape us. Uh, most of all, our character as a community of followers of Jesus. Thank you for today. We're just excited to be here. Thank you for the music that helps facilitate that, the scripture reading, Lord, and just the recognition of who you are as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Father, for your plan. For these are your plans. They're not ours. We didn't make them up. We'd be too chicken to make these ones up. So, God, we just thank you that you've, you've elevated our, our mindset, and we need to put things uh, in our minds on things above. Thank you, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, today we're going to go kind of a third part of a series that we've been in. Uh, we've been talking about gospel identities, which kind of sounds odd. If, uh, if, you know, it can sound odd. So gospel identities, what is, what is our identity? And uh, the last couple of weeks we've talked about what a gospel identity is saying, if the gospel is Jesus Christ, the nature, the work, the personhood of who Jesus is and the community that he travels in, the Trinity, knowing who God is and what he does, then there should be a reflection of who we are since he made us in his image and what we do. And so what we've really been looking at is a, in a simple way is going to the scriptures to say, who are we, Lord? And then we, we examine who God is, and then we see that reflection is put into us, is imprinted into us. And sometimes we reject that because we're sinners, and sometimes we don't take that as an implication. We're not convicted by who God is or his ways, and, and so sometimes we just decide to just bogue out on that or go, you know what, I like the other identities, I like the other things that are in life, and we part and parcel that. And we go, I'll participate this way. And we, we essentially become either non-believers, atheists in our own faith as we follow Jesus Christ, or certainly we're rebels and we refuse to follow and, and do the things that God asks of us. So that's kind of a bummer at times. When you hear that, you're like, yeah, uh, sometimes I'm ignoring God and what he wants of me. Uh, what do I do about that? And I think we'll have another message today because the scriptures come in and they come into our secret spaces and the scripture, the truth of what Jesus is teaching, the truth stands, it's strong, it's, it's forming, it's sanctifying. It actually says it, it's so strong that it sets you free and makes you a new creation. So the truths of what we find about God shapes us as people, not as we've just traveled. So check this out. Not just as we've been traveling going, I'm this person, I'm this person, but being renamed because of the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and the fact that he overcame death and resurrected, that the, that same power is in you and that's actually the, the power that should be shaping your identity, not us making up our own identity. So that's what we get to see. We get to see that, that uh, can you turn down the sound a little bit? I feel like I'm in a tunnel. Okay, that's good. Um, but so what we're going to do, and a little bit higher than that, because it totally went, people are like, yes. Okay, that's good. Thank you. I'm a part-time sound engineer right now. Sorry. Um, so the last two weeks ago, we looked at a gospel identity is that God is Father, and Father sent Son. And Son sent Holy Spirit to let us know that because He's the Father and the Son and He has a family, that we're adopted. We're adopted heirs and complete uh, inheritors of the kingdom. And we find ourselves in a family. It's God's family. It's, it's above any other family. It's above biology. It's actually it's a, it's a unity in, in God that the Holy Spirit uh, guarantees and tells us about. And so we go, oh, I'm family. Well, that kind of changes the way I may view what I thought was church or community, that we see that God values traveling in community at the highest because that's exactly his essence and who he is. 
And so we see that God invites us into that same place. And then we see that the only way into that family is through Jesus Christ and through the blood that was shed. That's the only, that's the righteousness of exchange of our filth, of our sin, of our rebellion against the family. God says, I'm turning rebels into worshipers and I'm bringing them into my family. I'm bringing them as close to me as possible. And so we thought about that. Uh, hopefully you're still thinking about that. Then last week, the second identity we looked at is gospel identity of being a servant. We saw that God is on mission. We saw that Jesus uh, didn't come here in entitlements. He didn't come here to, to float his power. He didn't come here to influence the world the way that we see influence happening. We see that Jesus came to serve and that the greatest among us is a servant. And we saw because God is a servant that we're on mission, that we're servants. And so we thought about that a little bit. And this week, our third gospel identity today is going to be that we're a learner. And how I describe that is to say, he is a teacher. Because he's the teacher, we're learners and we're disciples. Um, But there's also another easy way to say that is that you're a follower you follow the teacher. It's holistic. It's not just that we, we get caught up in some academia or that we just sit uh, as seminarians or that we try and shove our brains full of all of these little weird factoids, which we do. We like the fact that we have a little bit of an edge sometimes intellectually or a factoid that somebody else didn't know. It's always really fun when we can go, I bet you didn't know that. A little known fact. And so what we, you know, it's a, there's a Cheers character. It's an old show called Cheers. But there was the postman that just loved to tell everybody what he knew. Hey, Naomi, Naomi. He would all, what was his, Cliff. And Cliff would always know everything and want to give you the factoids to build himself up. But people from the family and the servanthood understand that God's given us everything. And uh, he's even given us what we know. And we get to give that away for free. And not take that on as though it's ours. So um, so anyway, the word disciple comes from a Greek word. Um, there's, it's where we also get mathematics. Um, it's mathetis, and I'm terrible at Greek. And then it also be, comes out as a verb to manthano. And what that means is that you're not only a learner, but you're one who follows the teaching. And you're not only one who follows the teaching, you're one who follows the life of another. Manthano means that you're actively seeking and learning. And so as you're learning, you're learning everything about the person. So a a lot of times you'll hear us describe who Jesus Christ is as he's a person and people are really comfortable with that, going, yes, he's a historical person. But you can't separate this outrageous message from his person. So when he says, I'm God, we start to go, does that line up with what we're seeing, with who you are? So you're son of man, son of God, but is that lining up with the message of what you're, say- of what you're saying? Does what you're saying jive with who we're seeing. And then on top of that, not only is Jesus standing there before us as teacher, if we're going to be learners, we see that the teacher's there, but then we hear his message. Does that jive with the person and the message? And then does that jive, is it holistic, into the mission that he's living? And so that's what it means to be a disciple or a follower or a learner For us to go, oh, because of the cross of Jesus, because of what he's teaching, I'm learning. And I'm following him in every way. Now, it's a really weird, I think, a religious, and I would even say, even though it's a biblical word, we use the word disciple and it sounds very churchy and it sounds very unapproachable in my opinion at times. Here's what I'd like to say. What it means is that you're doing life with another. Remember going back to if our gospel identity is that we're in a family, then that means there's mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in the faith that you're living with that should be teaching you. That's why we travel. Remember we said 
that Israel was called a servant nation, it means we're a collective. So each one of these gospel identities that God says who you are, you always have to pluralize it. A lot of the times, yes, the implications are for you to realize and for you to walk out in that, but you need to realize that we live these identities together. It's always been that way. That's what God's intention is, is for us to be together. So when you think of, am I a disciple of Jesus... Basically, I would ask, are you hanging out with people in the family that know Jesus and are following Jesus? And are you able to look at their whole life and put together a story of who they are, of the message that they're speaking, and of the mission that they're on? Does that jive? Because that's where we get hypocrisy, right? When somebody says, here's the mission that I'm on, I'll tell you all about it. And we're like, that doesn't seem to be the person that you actually are. And so we look at that, and, we, and here we say our mission is to draw to Christ and to develop in community is our second spot, and that's basically saying becoming a learner. Are you a follower of Jesus, and are you learning? So let me ask you this question. What have you been learning? When's the last time, because of following Jesus, you learned something? That when you're following him, that it, it holds you, the Holy Spirit moves through the character and the person and the nature and the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, but holds you to learning. That when you're following and you're committed to who he is, you find that there's a bunch of people with you because it's always been plural, and the learning is not a classroom, it's life. When was the last time you hung out with somebody intentionally to look at their life? And to submit yourself to maybe the authority that God has placed on them in your life. Sometimes I go, it just doesn't seem like it's enough. It, It seems like, shouldn't we be doing a particular Bible study at a particular time? Isn't there a perfect system in order for us to become a really good learner? We really want that sometimes. This week I spent some time with Russell... And we got to just talk. And many times when Russell comes in each week, many times I'm thinking, okay, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do with this guy? I'm going to teach him how to preach or should I teach him the things I do? No. It's what does Jesus need to do in Russell's life? God, what are you asking me to be an older brother in? How are you asking me to serve him? How can we serve together? How can we learn together? Do you hear the equality of the gospel as well? Because when we start to think, I'm just the teacher, or I'm just the learner, we're always learning. We're all learning as we follow Jesus together. But have you intentionally set up any times in your life where you've decided to be, that that there's an agreement? Hey, I think I have some things I can teach you. I've been married longer than you, or I've done finances this way, or is there a place that God's asking you to submit and surrender? Are you a learner? Well, let's look at how tangible I think that the Lord invites us into being learners. And so I just want to start out today with, at Mark 1. If you'll turn with me, if you have a Bible, that's great. If you don't, I'm going to read it. No worries, okay? While you're going there, I'll just tell you, I went to have a, a beer at, a, at a, the Leisure Public House this week with uh, Dom. And, uh, and on my way over there, I'm like, okay, God, what do you, what's, what's the agenda? I don't have a 3 by 5 card. I, I, I know that I'm probably supposed to, to shape this guy. He's come to Christ, and I, I, I know that there's, there's, I'm probably missing the boat. And God's done this a few times when Dom and I uh, decide to intentionally hook up and, and do some discipleship. God always makes the agenda removed from us. It's not about us all the time. Have you ever noticed that? That, that God seems to have an agenda that has his whole family in mind. Sometimes we're like, hey, this is going to be bro time. Or, hey, this is sister time. We're going to go out and do this. We're doing coffee and tea, girls. Uh, uh. Whatever we're doing, right? I don't know where that came from. That's dangerous. We need to do laps. Okay. But the deal is, is, is a lot of times we're like, this is about us. 
And God goes, he flips the switch. He flips the script and it goes, and it starts going on its side. And God's like, how about I have this person come to your table? Or uh, how about this situation happens? Oh, as we follow Jesus together, he might be in control of the curriculum. What he's really asking us to do is be devoted to him and what he wants us to be a part of. And a lot of times that creates scenarios where it really challenges our relationships. That's what learning, that's what following Jesus is like. That's why he has us. He put us together. I hope you understand that that's a gift to learn with other people out in life. Jesus' classrooms, they're not seminaries. There's no desks. There's no walls. Yeah, you can go learn at, uh, with that type of education, but that he's saying this is whole life, that a classroom couldn't contain it. In fact, one of the scriptures we'll read today says not even the whole world could contain all of the books that should be written about the way that you would follow and learn from Jesus. It's uncontainable. Yet we really want to go, how about a three-by-five card? I'd feel better going into this if I had a two key verses. No, do life with people. Agree to do life with people. Be committed to each other. Sometimes when you hear stuff here and you're like, wow, that's really truthful. I'm not going to live up to that. Don't give up. Let God work it out in you. Grab a, a brother or sister and say, I'm working this out. I bet you've only noticed that I, I participate this way or this way. I'm working that out. God really loves that kind of heart. And people do too. It actually puts us in touch with each other because we're all. Okay? Let's look at Mark 1. It says this. Oh, I'm getting old. can't read anymore. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he said, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. That's far enough for now. In John 3, 2, it says that when people started to recognize who Jesus was, they could see that he was a teacher from God. Because when I read this, it's kind of like, really? Come follow me? And they immediately dropped everything they were doing and left. A lot of times I think we look at the stories and we go, oh, well, yeah, 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 I would have done that. I would have just seen his majesty immediately. I would have gone. I'm in. Absolutely. I've always wanted a little education, Rabbi. Yes, I want to finish my degree. Will you teach me? Will this be applied in, a, in an accredited way? Would you? Because... Would you follow him immediately? Because that's what he's asking a lot of the time. You know those moments when God says, I have an agenda and I want to teach you, and your heart goes, and it usually costs you. It costs you ego. It costs you self. It costs you old vices. Those moments where the Holy Spirit's moving us, so I want you to learn this. These are those moments that we ignore countless times, hundreds of times until we say, okay, I'm in. And then what happens? God shows up in a great way, and we get to find out that God's power to lead changes lives. The power of Jesus' training, his truth that he uses, changes your life. Are you at the brink at all of learning something that, would, that could truly change you? 
That's what we're in this for, just to remind you. We get to be changed people. We get to live with joy that wasn't there. Isaiah 61 says that where there was mourning and sadness, now there's gladness and an anointing and a power. Where we were powerless and weak, God becomes our strength because we say, yes, I'll follow you. I will, I will, he says in the scripture, I will. That means he promises. How's that? My kind of learning is going to change your life, and I'll even promise that. When's the last time you heard somebody say, if you learn this, this I guarantee will happen. I will make you become. It means that you haven't arrived. I will make you become. We all get to become something together. This is why we travel together. This is why we come here, not to like a goofy slides or to sing songs or to feel a little odd at 10 in the morning or to hear musicians. We come here because we go, along the way I was learning something. And you know what God said to me? This, and it flipped my lid. Do you know that because of his power, I now walk in my life differently? That he truly is showing me a new way. That he is the way. And his truths, they don't seem temporary. They're not going away. And the lesson is always on the table. He is the way, the truth. And my life is enhanced. I'm feeling more alive, more than I ever have in my life when I follow this master of life. That, okay, you heard it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If we are connected to that, why wouldn't you want to do that with other people? If these crazy, amazing things are making impressions and changing your heart and your mind, why would you keep that from somebody else? And yet we do. We punish the crap out of each other. We're really good at whining and moaning and criticizing and being frustrated. How often do you hear just the wonderful things? When's the last time a group of people who followed Jesus were accused of being so tremendously optimistic that you just couldn't shut them up? And every once in a while you run into that person, and that person's convicting. Because they're learning so much, and you're not. Because they're trusting. Where is Jesus saying, come follow me? Where is he taking you to a place where you'll be hurt? Is he taking you to a place that you couldn't trust him? Or he's taking you to a place. This is, this is what Galatians says. He takes you to a place where the main power of being taught is being loved. (laughs) Okay. His main instrument to teach you is to show you his love for you. He wants you to learn not so that we can be studious, not so that knowledge will puff up like the scriptures say, He wants you to learn ultimately more about his love. (laughs) I could ask you when was the last time you learned something. And I have. Was that wrapped in love? Did God tell you? Is God moving you? Is he asking you to follow him because he loves you? I think your soul knows that. That should be satisfying to your soul to know that the creator of the universe, the firstborn, the supreme overall, has a lesson for you. Wants to shape you. 
Not as you've become because there's the sin and the fallenness of this world has distorted who you are. He's cleaning all of that off. It's called sanctification, right? Another Bible word. You look in Philippians 2.12 and 2.13, it talks about the power that that's in. And then other parts it says that we're fellow workers with God, that we're working in relationship. So it's this teacher, learner all of the time. And then when some of us get... I made it sound like me. It's not all the time. But when we get some of these lessons, we get to pass them to each other. Let me ask you another question. When's the last time God placed on your heart that you were to go to someone and say, come follow me? If you have Christ and you're hidden in Christ and the scriptures say that you're rooted and built up in him and and. He and you and you and him, would you have the confidence to say, come to my house. Come see me and my marriage. Come see the way I raise my children. Let's look at my finances. Come look at my finances. With what God has given me, have I stewarded all of that? And there's a part of us that says, no, I don't let people in there. People really aren't learning a ton from me. Okay. That's why we preach the Word of God. So we go, oh. So God says, I'm a learner. And eventually, with the things that I've learned, I'm to give those things away. I'm not going to tell you the things that I wrote down last night as I prayed over why we aren't learners. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you these things, not because I don't like you, but because I think there's some reasons why we refuse to learn. So if you're a note taker, I hope you took that whole good news part at the beginning. I'm just kidding. I think we refuse to be learners because we're arrogant. We don't want to really think that we need to be taught. We defend the way that we're already living. We go... I'm the way, I'm the truth, and this is my life, so deal with it. And we defend it. We, like uh, My little children, they'll say stuff to me, and I can either be an arrogant father or many times children are spot on. Like, Daddy, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the teacher. What are you teaching me? Boom. Because God, because she is made in God's image. And she has a relationship as a learner and as following Jesus. And therefore, she can rebuke Father in the most loving, innocent way. And I can be arrogant or defend my way. Well, I know what I'm doing. Blah, blah, blah. Hi, hi, hi. I bet you're already noticing we're only on one of them. Uh, All I had to do is take a good look at myself. Why am I not a learner? I figured you may have the same condition. Pride or arrogance. The other one is that we pretend. That would be my second one is we pretend to have it together. We make up our own identity. If God says, because of the gospel, these are your identities, this is who you are and how you should live, well, if that's news to us, then how have we been living anyway? If we haven't been living in light of the cross, we've been living in light of something. Usually it's the reverberations of crap that's happened in our life because we're trying to put ourselves into a, a safe, protective place. We have a laundry list of why we don't have to listen to the authoritative teacher up there and here. 
We have a, a list of protection as to why we're not to be learners, why we won't follow you, why we're not becoming fishers of men. God wants to teach us some really applicable, very approachable lessons to say, here's how you draw people to me. Why would he say, I'll make you fishers of men? Why does God want us collecting people? We'll go to bad news number two or three in a second. Let me ask you that. Why is God asking us to be fishers of men and women? Why are we doing that? And I'd love to hear from you. Why are we being asked and why are we becoming people that fish for people? Hopefully in a winsome way, not on a real gross hook way. They're like, hey, people are like steelhead. Why are we fishing for men and women? So we're casting a net that says, you can be reconciled. You can have peace, yes? I think that's a good one. To spread the gospel, yes. What, what do we want people to know of that gospel? And anybody can answer. She's not on the spot here. Her follow-up question is not only for her. To spread the gospel, what is the gospel to us? So the gospel is predicated off of a relationship with Jesus. So we have this relationship with Jesus, and we understand of who he is. We have a relationship with him. We should have a relationship with his message, which is another piece of the gospel. And we should also have a relationship to the work that he's asking us to do. And if he's the teacher, we're following him, so we're doing the same things. When's the last time you felt like you fished for a person? When's the last time we felt like we went and expanded the net to say, love you, and the gospel is huge, it's total in life, so there's many ways that that net can get spread in order to connect and touch into somebody's life. Why else does God want us to cast our net to be fishers of men, to become like him in this way? So we talked about last week that a gospel identity as a servant, if you look through the Bible, throughout the scriptures, the, the characters that God is showing is their savers. That's the rhythm that God's saying, I want your life to be spent saving people. And you're like, well, I'm a banker. How am I going to save people? Through relationship. Through the gospel, through all means, everything on the planet can be used towards saving people. God wants to use us as his servants to be servant savers. If you're a servant of Christ, what's on your mind is saving people. And if it's, it's, it sounds cliche, oh, are you saved? Let's use rescuer. You're a rescuer. Use Noah to rescue. He uses Moses to rescue. Are we rescuers? Three, another reason, and I think these are cultural norms, is that we hide. Hiding is different than uh, pretending. The second one I said, we kind of pretend. We make appearances, we maintain an image. But when uh, we hide, it's more about shame. We hide from the lesson. We hide from being a learner. So the arrogance says, oh, I hear the lesson, but I'm better than it, or I get it more than you. The other one is that we fabricate our own identity, so we don't think we need his identity. And then the next one would be that we hide, because we're shameful. Shame is, is weighing us down much more than what we think the good news of the gospel is, of what God has to say about who we are and what we can learn from God. We hide in shame, then we're never going to get into the classroom of life. If we're in shame, we're not going to let anybody know what the lessons are that they could possibly even help us with. The other one is blaming. We blame 
out of defense. We won't own it. And this comes down to something that, that you may say, oh, this is the most obvious way, but when we're blaming and we're off-casting, what we're doing is we minimize sin. We minimize. We say, oh, I'm ashamed. Well, the reason you're ashamed is because there's a sin attached to your character and your identity. And so you can't learn. That's the big clog in the pathway that God has in which he's trying to teach you is your communication, education line of where the teacher and his voice is coming to you. That's all getting clogged up because of that sin. You can't minimize what is messing up your communication and your relationship with God. Don't minimize your sin and go, ah, it's just no biggie. There are things that we live with for a long time. We go, that's no no biggie. That's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal if it's keeping us from learning the lesson that God has for us. Then the last one I would call is pet sin. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I don't know why I called it that. But pet sin is like, I like my sin. I like this better than learning more from God. This is my pet sin. It's cute. I have a weird attachment, and I carry it around with me, like Paris Hilton, right? Uh, I have my little pet sin. I have an affectionate relationship with my sin. My sin comforts me, and that's deceptive. I'm not going to give this sin up. So, I want you to see that story. I want you to see where Jesus originally comes on the scene, on the scene and he says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Now I want you to go to John 21 with me. And if you are a note taker, Write, come follow me. Write down what areas do I refuse to believe? What areas are blocking me from learning? We just went through those. And then the next one is, I will make you become fishers of men. That God's got a transforming teaching for you that changes our identity, that transforms us and puts us into sacrificial living. Now I want to read you a story, okay? And then we're going to close. We're going to close on this story. We're on John 21. And uh, I'll just summarize the first couple verses because we'll probably join at 15. Actually, you know what? The story's so good. Let me just read the story, okay? And then there will be a threefold challenge out of this story. Let's, as I read it, see if you hear what these, these challenges are. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. So just for the record, Jesus is coming after the resurrection. This is the third time that these disciples are going to see him. Well, you saw the first time that Jesus uh, has got all these dudes together, that they're learning in community. And now you'll see that they're together again. The first time we saw that they were... Uh, he was using the analogy, I'll make you fishers of men. He's saying, you like to fish? Here, let me, let me sleeve my lesson into what you already know, right? So that's a way that we learn, right? God sleeves the lesson to, to what we already think we know. Well, here he is again in this setting here. And so they're, they're down by the sea. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. They said, well, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. So we have some teaching here, right, guys? He's teaching them, he's instructing them, and they're going to obey, and then we'll see some results. 
So they cast it out now and they were able to haul it in because of the, they were unable to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. See, they're, they're recognizing his voice. That's, a, that's what we do as learners. We start to know the teacher's, the master's voice. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So he's going ashore. He hears the master. He's like, awesome, Jesus over there. Later, guys. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Is this a discipling moment? Is this IHOP or Denny's or uh, really? We're going to, okay. We're the guys that are supposed to be learning. You're the master teacher and you're going to make us breakfast on the beach. like it. I'd like to learn from somebody like that. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him. They didn't dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's a peculiar line. You don't know who Jesus is. Does anybody want to say or know? Why would, why would that be written here? They didn't ask him who he was. They knew. Why is that significant? What's up? Yeah. It's establishing who he is. It's also, uh, we're going to see some reinstatement of their relationship. If you remember some of the story, uh, they kind of bogged on him. They kind of uh, weren't so concrete as learners. They they. It became less than a lifetime uh, lifestyle to be lifetime learners. They had denied him, right? And here he is after this big dramatic situation, and they're cluing in again on him. Have you ever just walked through the mall or in an airport or somewhere and walked by somebody you went to grade school with or junior high, and you both know that you went to junior high together, but yet you walk by them like you don't know them? I think this is one of those times where they're like, yeah, we can't act like we don't know. It's you. We've been through a lot. This is your voice. We hear you. We recognize who you are, Jesus. Who are you? Uh, for they, uh, the disciples didn't dare to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and, and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish... This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now check this out. This is, this is some major learner action. So Jesus gives them breakfast. He's, he's showing up on the shore again. He's, I think he's saying with a smile, Hey, put the net on the other side, brothers. We've been here before, haven't we? I'm going to instruct you. It's me. Good morning. How was your evening? Didn't fare too well, did you? Let's get some fish for you. Come on in. I'm going to make some breakfast for you. Taking them to that safe place, protecting them. Again, they love him. They obviously love him. When Peter hops from the boat, it's like, oh, this is awesome. Jesus has showed up. It begs the question, doesn't it? When's the last time you were so stoked that Jesus showed up? so stoked that the Savior who loves you is there for you, providing and serving for you. Can you, I still can't wrap my head around that, that God serves us. We made them breakfast. How much more approachable are these lessons going to be? So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old... You'll stretch out your hands. He's foreseeing, he's foretelling his death, everyone. The crucifixion he's about to go through, Peter and his life. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show of what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying that, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and he saw the disciple who Jesus loved following them. The one, now they're walking, right, on the beach. This is the one who had reclined at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? See, now they're walking on the beach. This is, Jesus has died and resurrected. The first story we read in Mark, Jesus is, is gathering his disciples. He's gathering the learners. And he's telling them what he's going to do in their life to make them disciples. He's saying, come, follow me. Follow me my whole way. All the way. And then after all of the drama, after everything's gone down, he comes in this familiar way. He says, do you love me? Hear the challenge. Do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. And here we are back to lesson number one. Follow me. And you will follow me to where you will not want to go. Your arms will be stretched out and they will carry you and dress your body. You're going to be crucified. You're still up for following me. Do you love me? By the way, I'm going to ask those questions of you right now. Because I have an inclination that I believe God will ask us this when we die. Did you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I loved you. I, I did this, this, and this for you. Yes, I loved you. You're my Savior. Did you love me? Did you feed my sheep? Were you a learner that took what I gave you as the food of life, as the bread of life, as the equipping and the nurturing and all that I gave you? Did you hand that off to others? Ask me the first question again. Do I love you? I love you. But did you feed my sheep? Did you disciple people? Did you intentionally follow me and then become a fisher of men and women so that they too would begin following me? Follow me. Where do we follow Jesus ultimately? Again, powered by love into a safe, secure place. Kingdom come. Total glory. Follow me all the way into glory. Now that's a mindset we should have while we're here when he says, do you love me? If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. And then we go, oh, you're going to ask us to follow you again. Where will we see you again, we may ask. Acts 1.11 refers to 
us seeing him in the sky, a big fish net in the sky where he collects all of his again. See, the scriptures are always really awesome about showing you the same rhythm. When God says, I'll make you fishers of men because I'm a fisher of men. I want you to follow me and be a learner because I'm a true teacher. You'll see the rhythm. God retells his story, the same story in so many different ways. Will you follow me, Peter, in the way that you just denied me? Remember when the going got tough? Do you love me? Will you feed my sheep? But will you follow me because I'm taking you to the same death? Are we learners that will take these lessons and will our life tell that we lived these lessons to the grave? We should be thinking about what God's actually teaching us because it will change the way that we are living and dying. And he says this to close out. Lord, what about this man? So Peter gets a little distracted, as usual. He needs to be refocused a lot. That's why Jesus is refocusing him, recommitting him, reinstituting him into the mission. And God will do that for you. If you lose your focus, God will ask you the same lesson, the same questions many times. He's doing things out of kindness. He says this, Lord, what about this guy? Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness. He's saying, This is the one that's writing this. The one that's telling you the truth right now, that was me. Peter was going, what about this guy? He's saying, that was me. I was the one reclining at the table. And here we are walking on the beach, and Peter says this, and Jesus refocused him, and he he had already asked him all these things a million times, and he was lining us back up. He says, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We're going to follow Jesus into all of these lessons. It will take eternity. We could never read all of the books and know all that he wants to teach us. We are going to follow him into eternity, and it's going to get played out, and we're going to get to watch it, and we're going to be with God. But now is our time to live in the identity of being learners and followers. And as we follow, we collect people along the way. And hopefully our character, our personhood, matches what we say in the way that we live out this faith with Jesus. So every week, the highlight is for us to see Jesus again. For us to come back to our teacher as he made breakfast to fill the bellies of those fishermen, he laid his life out for us. And it's symbolized by a meal that we come to and we say, you are the fulfillment of all lessons, all that was written, all that is wise. And we have fallen as followers we don't have the power. We, we are arrogant. We, we do shine your lessons. So let's come to the table knowing that God teaches through love and that his love is overcoming. And he loved us so much and wanted us to learn this way that he died for us. And he's asking us to die in that way. Can you wake up for 10 seconds, your souls to go, I'm to die to myself. That is the ultimate lesson that I don't need to preserve 
or to be arrogant. I don't need to hold a position. I don't need to blame you or tell you I'm wrong. I don't need to minimize my sin. I need to get rid of this pet sin and this gnarly affection I have for wrong things. And I need to see that Jesus died so I would get the lesson so that the Holy Spirit could move and come upon my life so that I could be changed. And God says, yes, you are becoming fishers of men and women. You are changing. You are a new creation. Now come celebrate it with the teacher at the table and celebrate that he's released you to learn much more than you know today and to endure much more than you're ever willing to endure for his sake, for God's sake, for Christ's sake, we lay ourselves before him and we repent. We must repent. We must say, I haven't been traveling in your lessons or your way. I need you, Jesus. I need the cross. I don't have the power to do this. I need resurrection power. I'm stuck. I feel like a real dumb crap. I don't learn very well. And God says, full scholarship for those who repent. You got F's. You sure did, kid. I'm renewing your scholarship every single time. You may feel like you're a real slow learner, but I'm here for you. I love you. Do you love me? If you love me, then you'll learn and teach. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. We do love you. We want to learn more. We want to embrace your ways. We want to open our hands and our hearts. We want to expose ourselves to you. I love the picture of Peter hopping into the water, swimming after you. And there you have a warm fire, the fish laid out, and a lesson for us. Let us hear your voice as you call from the shores of heaven, as you use the Holy Spirit to move us in, to, as you've captured our hearts, as we are those flailing fish. We're flailing in our sin. We're broken. We're totally out of our element. We're gasping for air. We are those fish. We'd like to think we're fishermen. We need to be caught up in your love. We need to be caught up in your lessons. We need you to call us home. We need you, Jesus. We don't want to fish for people. We don't want out of our comfort zones. And we want to criticize and be arrogant and blame everybody else who's tangling the net up. The church is a mess because we tangle the net, Lord, and then we get mad at each other. We're living in an identity of being ensnared and entangled in our own sins until you come along and blow us away with your death and your resurrection. Thank you. We want to come to this table and say, clear the net. Make it so 153,000 fish can come to you. Use us. We see ourselves as insignificant. You called men who were not of this wealth. They're fishermen, Lord. You called the ordinary. Let us grasp being ordinary people serving the extraordinary supernatural. We need you. We love you. We want the opportunity to serve from that love, not because you have a self-esteem problem or you just want to know our feelings for you. You want us to be on mission. You didn't ask, do you love me because you needed a teddy bear? We need you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Let us worship you. Let us follow you to our death so that you would be glorified and accept our sin today at the table of repentance so that you would fill us up, so that you would live through us, so people would see the teacher. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.